0: Thanks, Chris. If I weren't busy on Sunday mornings, I would totally volunteer to be a greeter down there. You probably don't want me with the little, little kids, but uh, I would totally do that. Also, college students, uh, we know this is your preferred service to come to because you're here. But uh, if like 50 of you could come to 8 o'clock... That would be amazing. We're not going to give you a T-shirt. We're not going to give you a mug. Anything, but it would really help out. And uh, those that have kids down there, you kind of need to come to this hour. But uh, just think about it. That would be great. We had a few come uh, earlier today. Okay, I'd like to begin this morning with a, a quote from <clears throat> Dorothy Sayers. She was an author in in England, the first half of twentieth century, and uh, what she says here. Uh, really clarifies what we're going to be talking about this morning in relation to work. This is what she said. She said, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables, okay? So, of course, he shouldn't be drunk and disorderly in his leisure time. Of course, he should come and worship with others. But the first demand for a Christian carpenter is to make good tables. And so that's the topic of our sermon series, the actual work that we do, the, the tasks that we do in our work. And if you weren't here last week, you can catch the podcast on our website or, or on, uh, on Facebook. But today we're going to talk about serving Christ through our work. And as we mentioned last week, your work is the main thing you do, whether you get paid for it or not. And so this is what you spend the best hours of your week doing. And so if you're a photographer, your work is taking photographs. If you are a student, your work is studying and going to class and preparing for whatever comes next in your life. Uh, If you're a, a teacher, your, your work is teaching history or advertising engineering, and so're we 're talking about the actual work that we do and i'm i 'm belaboring the point because many times there 's kind of this two tier uh, two tier system when it comes to work and ministry and for a lot of people in some churches, some Christians, some ministries have this two tier mindset where the top tier that 's the vocational Christian work pastors missionaries. Uh, other types of ministers. The, the second tier is everybody else. And these people work so that these people can do their job. And if there's, and this is not the mind of Christ, this is not what the Bible teaches, but the, the idea is that if there's any value in this second tier, it's the opportunities that you have to share Christ or to do Christian things in addition to your work. Or it allows you the freedom to do these Christian things. We don't see that taught in the Bible. We don't see a two-tiered view of ministry where some people are full-time Christians and everybody else, well, just squeezing a little Christianity somewhere in your schedule if you can. And we don't see a two-tier view of work. All work has dignity. Unless there's something inherently sinful about your work, your work has dignity. Your work is, is to be an expression of your devotion to Christ. And so this morning we're gonna we're gonna consider a passage. It's one I mentioned last week in Colossians three, where Paul puts forth this this perspective that every believer serves the Lord. Quote serves the Lord through his or her work. And uh, beginning in verse eighteen of Colossians three, Paul gives a list of instructions. Uh, it was pretty common in the Roman Empire. These these is called a household code, and so it was a list of instructions for various people in a household. One of the things that was distinctive about Paul's household codes, in addition to be explicitly Christian and Christ-centered, was that he not only addressed the, the powerful in the household, husbands, fathers, masters, he also addressed those that were more vulnerable, wives, children, and even slaves. And so today we're going to look at what Paul says to slaves and masters, and we're going to draw some perspectives, some implications for our work. And, of course, uh, their context is very different from ours. And sometimes people ask the question, well, why didn't Paul advocate uh, a revolt? Why would he write to slaves and say, slaves, uh, obey your masters in everything? Why would he say that type of thing? Why didn't he, he advocate uprising? Well... The short answer is that it probably would have got a lot of people killed. Paul was not pro-slavery. Uh, he was very nuanced about it, actually. If you look at 1 Corinthians 7, he said, if you're a slave, you come to Christ. If you have the opportunity to be free, by all means, pursue that. If you don't, honor Christ as a slave, the condition you find yourself when you come to Christ. And so it was rather nuanced about it. But our, our context is so different I mean, we have all sorts of freedom. You can change jobs. You can change careers. You can get more training or education to to retool. You've got all different options. And in our places of work, uh, in theory at least, we have laws that protect us from being mistreated and when... Uh, People are mistreated. There's recourse. You can go to governmental agencies. You can go to the HR department. We've got all sorts of advantages in our day that slaves in the first century did not have. Nevertheless, the overarching perspectives that Paul gives in Colossians 3 are supremely relevant for us. And so he gives a Christ-centered perspective on work. He says, do your work heartily as to the Lord. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And so we're going to look at this this passage. It's five verses. And in these five verses, he uses the same term seven times. And so three times it's translated master. Four times it's translated Lord. But it's the same word. Whenever it's translated Lord, he's talking about about Jesus. But he's talking about how uh, both slaves and masters also have a Lord in heaven. And that reality, that spiritual reality is going to be the thing that should inform the way we think about work. And so let's read the passage and then we'll talk through some of the details. Paul writes this, Colossians 3 beginning in verse 22. Slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Paul is probably addressing household servants here. And uh, as mentioned last week, sometimes the household servants were very well loved, taken care of. They were part of the household, uh, uh, part just like family. Uh, other times they were treated, treated harshly, but we can't be exactly certain of their condition. But notice in verse 22 how Paul urges sincerity of heart instead of merely outward obedience. He says, obey uh, those who are your masters on earth, not with external service. Uh, The term that's translated external service is used here and in the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 6. And there it's translated not with eye service. And the idea is don't merely work hard. Don't merely do your work well when people are watching you. You have a father in heaven. You have a Lord in heaven who is watching you. Uh, and, And this is the case in every area of life, not just work. It's in every area of life. What matters more than what people see is what God sees. And so he's advocating that. Followers of Christ should work with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In other words, we should care deeply, deeply about what our Lord in heaven uh, sees what he thinks about us and the fear of the Lord means that you absolutely care you have this healthy fear of getting on God's bad side and so whatever you do work not just to please men but the Lord and notice how he restates it in verses 22 and 23 he says whatever you do do you work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men the term work there, it's the same term that's used in Acts 18:3 of Paul's work as a tent maker. And it's fascinating. If you ever want to hear what Paul thought about his work as a tent maker, his work as a missionary, that's all over his writings. But look at 1 Thessalonians 2, and he's appealing to the Thessalonians, he says, you know, you saw this firsthand, how we worked hard night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you. He's talking about his work as a tent maker. He was literally a tent maker. And so he he had this, his his philosophy of ministry was he never took money from people he was trying to reach for Christ. That might give the impression that salvation is something that could be bought. And so he could take money from other churches to try to reach others for Christ. But when he was among them, he worked hard as a tent maker, so as not to be a burden. back to Colossians 3, because they were followers of Christ, they were to do their work heartily, meaning from the heart. Instead of going through the motions, they were supposed to put their heart into their work. And they were to do their work as for the Lord rather than for men. Their work, and again, as painful as it might be and as, as hard as it might be, their work was supposed to be an expression of their devotion to Jesus. And so in our context here in 21st century America. That means uh, a carpenter says, Jesus, I'm making this table. I am trimming this house for you as an expression of my devotion to you, not merely the people that are paying me. I am preaching this sermon, Jesus, for your ears, not merely for the ears of those who are in the room. Uh, As a teacher, I am teaching these children as an expression of my love for you not merely because they happen to live in my home. And so Paul's emphasis is in serving God, serving Christ through our work. Next week, Sam's going to talk about kind of the flip side of this. There is a sense in which we serve other people through our work. Obviously, all good work promotes the common good. It it promotes human flourishing. We love our neighbors as we do our work. And so that's the other side. But but Paul here is saying that our ultimate audience is the Lord Jesus Christ as an act of devotion to him, even worship to him. It's a statement, whether you believe it or not, whether you live it or not, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Fact. In verse 24, Paul mentions the reward of the inheritance that believers will receive. And sometimes we don't like to talk about rewards because it seems mercenary, it seems like it's the idea God's going to pay you off if you do what he wants. But as many people have pointed out, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And so you find throughout the Bible, the New Testament authors really didn't fear that people were going to be, have, have bad motivation when he talked about, when they talked about rewards. It's all over the New Testament. Be assured you will receive the reward of the inheritance. That should be motivation to work hard. The flip side, namely the consequences of the wrong that we've done, Paul mentions verse 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. And so here Paul's saying that the believer who's careless or unfaithful in his or her work uh, will receive the consequences of, Of that wrong. There are consequences when we disobey God in any area of life, including our work, the main thing that we do every week, week in and week out. So, what we're talking about in this sermon series actually matters. And so, if I had to summarize or if I had to conceptualize, what what does it mean to do your work heartily? as for the Lord, rather than for man. I would, I would just say two things. We've already talked about it. We do things, we do our work uh, well. And number two, we do our work Christianly. That's a funky way to put it, but we do our work Christianly. We we bring the virtues of Christ, the mind of Christ, the character of Christ to our work. Uh, Another way to say it is, We don't land here at the end of Colossians chapter 3 and think that we can flip a switch and do our work as to the Lord if we ignore the rest of what Colossians 3 tells us to do, the rest of what discipleship entails. For example, in uh, in verse 8, Paul tells us, put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. If you don't do that, if you bring anger into the workplace, if you bring abusive speech into the workplace, you're not going to be able to serve the Lord Christ through your work. Your, your words, your attitude will betray the work that you're doing. Or in verse 12, Paul says, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, if you clothe yourself with those things, when you bring those things to your work, now you're in a place to serve the Lord Christ in what you do. And so the the larger context of discipleship matters so that we are the type of people who can enter into work. uh, You can enter into work uh, in a way that honors Christ. So you do not have to be a follower of Christ to make good tables or to be a good physician or to be a good teacher. But you do need to be a follower of Christ to do those types of work Christianly with the mind of Christ and the the whole ethos of Christ. And so our lives are supposed to be this seamless whole where there's continuity between the way we live in our personal life, in our homes, in our neighborhood, in our relationships in the church, and in the workplace. And so that is a life of discipleship. We do our work well, and we do our work with the mind of Christ. Last week, I gave you the assignment of formulating a description of your work. I had you think about, okay, how would you describe your work in terms of its value? And I got a few people to share with me their, their kind of preliminary uh, answers uh, to that question. And I'm gonna share three of those, and I'm gonna give some, some ideas on how those persons might do their work as to the Lord, how they might actually serve Christ through their work. And so a kindergarten teacher told me that uh, she describes her work this way. She says, I invest in the lives of five and six-year-olds, teaching them the skills that they need to succeed in daily life. Isn't that choice? It's good. She invests in five and six year olds. Okay, so how could that be a way of serving Christ? You could, you could, in theory, you could do that mindlessly without really honoring Christ or serving Christ. But she might serve the Lord Christ in her teaching by preparing well, by preparing prayerfully, by showing up at school, being filled with the Holy Spirit by teaching with creativity and energy, by showing compassion for her kids and for their families. An engineer who develops software and sometimes hardware uh, describes his work this way. This sounds like an engineer, okay? He says, I use technology to engineer solutions that improve efficiency and safety and generate new opportunities for our clients. How about that? Okay. Technology, solutions, efficiency, safety, opportunities. So uh, he might serve the Lord in his work by investing time and energy in actually understanding what is this software supposed to do? How can this software uh, really accomplish what needs to happen in their businesses? And he he works with transportation. Uh, He could use his knowledge and then his God-given intellect to develop good software, coming to your work with thankfulness. God, I thank you for what you've given me. You, every good gift comes from you. My mind, that's a gift from you. My abilities, it all comes from you. And so in that way, it might be uh, a service to the Lord. The third one, this is a mom who has both biological and adopted kids. She describes her work this way. She says, I provide sanctuary." I provide sanctuary where needs are met and I minister to little and big spirits. I shepherd my children toward Jesus as I draw near to him myself and I release the power of God in the lives of those I love as I pray my guts out for them. And so not hard to see how that, that person might serve the Lord. As she receives from Jesus, as she gets Full, then she pours the same thing out on behalf of her children. And so it really is an, an expression of her devotion to Christ. She serves Christ by entrusting her kids to him in prayer. And so you're going to have to work this out on your own. And I'll, I've got another little assignment at the end of the message. But it would be worth it to take some time to really ponder, okay, how does my work, the work itself... How does it? Serve, how can I do, use my work to serve the Lord Christ? Again, next week we'll talk about serving others through uh, serving others through the work you do. Again, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. But it's as we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might that we're able to love our neighbor as ourselves. I also want to let you know about an opportunity that some of you might want to to take advantage of. So our pastoral staff. Uh, there's five of us, we do workplace visits, okay? I used to call this take your pastor to work day, but we're more sophisticated now, but we, we will just show up. One of us will come to your work and we just want to learn. We just want to see what you do. We need to know that if we're going to, we're, we're clueless in a lot of ways on, on what, what you do. So we'll show up at your workplace. If it's appropriate, we will watch you, see what you do. We'll ask you questions. Uh, what, are the, what are the greatest joys? What's most satisfying about the work that you do? Uh, what's the most frustrating? What's, what's the hardest thing for you as a follower of Christ? And then we'll ask you, how can we, we pray for you? And so, uh, honestly, this is a, it's a blast to do this. Uh, I've been to a lot of lectures at K-State. I've watched a dog get ACL surgery. Uh, I helped a guy give a tree an IV. He's a tree doctor. It's a fascinating thing. I've gone to a a construction job site and and just uh, bummed along with, with, uh, with a guy on that. And so, um, yeah. So if, if you want us to do a work, workplace visit, check the box on the back of the card and tell us what you do. Now it's if it's not appropriate for you in your workplace, like if you're a therapist, it'd be a little awkward to say, the guy in the corner, <laughs> that's my pastor. Don't, <laughs> don't worry about him. <laughs> just just act like he's not here. So um, maybe a, a conversation over a cup of coffee or a meal. Maybe that would be a, more appropriate. So check the box. Depending on how many of you sign up, it may be a year before we get to you, but this is an ongoing thing. We're gonna, we're gonna do this indefinitely out into the future. So, um, yeah, put that in, the, in the, the bag. One more verse, Colossians 4.1. Here, Paul addresses masters or lords. He says, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And so, Christian masters and Christian slaves live under the same reality. They both have a master in heaven. They too need to know that they answer to someone. If they want the Lord in heaven to show them fairness and justice, they need to show the same to others. They treat others the way God in Christ has treated them. And as I mentioned earlier, this command is is not exactly analogous to a boss in the workplace. The the dynamics are, are very, very different, but the issue is the same. And so some of you have power and authority in the workplace. People answer to you. You make decisions that affect people's lives. You need to know that you answer to your master in heaven. Again, the, the New Testament ethic. We treat others the way God and Christ has treated us. So let me give you a, a Example of how this might work, just tying it all together. And uh, this is a story that Tim Keller tells uh, when he talks about workplace theology. And uh, he was a pastor, he's recently retired from the, the preaching, preaching role at uh, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. But he noticed that there was a woman who would, would uh, come late and leave early. And that's a technique. Some of you use that before. It's a way to avoid getting buttonholed by church people. But she would, she would kind of just avoid talking to people. And, uh, but one morning, he was able to introduce himself to her out in the foyer. And her comment was, she says, yeah, I pop in and out now and then. I'm not sure I believe what you believe, but I'm kind of Intrigued. And he said, well, how did you even find out about this church? And that's when she told him this story. Uh, she, was a, uh, uh, she worked at a uh, TV network in New York City, and she had worked there for a, only a short period of time. She made a very bad mistake, what she described as it was potentially a career-ending mistake. And her boss, when he found out what she had done, he went in to the higher-ups and he took the blame for it. He said, "This was actually my fault. I didn't train her like I should have. I didn't equip her from the situation she found herself in. If you have to be mad at somebody, be mad at me, but not her. Don't fire her." And he had been there a long time. He'd built up this credibility, but uh, he expended a lot of social capital. His credibility took a hit when he took the blame for what she had done. But she was able to keep her job. And when she found out about it, uh, she went in to thank him. And uh, he kept telling her, no, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. And, uh, but she pressed him. She said, uh, nobody's ever done this in my work situation before. I've had bosses who took credit for the good things I had done, but I've never had a boss who took the blame for something bad that I've done. I said, what is the deal? Why did you do this? And finally, and this is New York City, okay? He said, he said okay, I'm only going to say this once and I'm only going to say it because you're forcing me to. I am a Christian and my entire life is based on a man who took the blame for me. And that tends to shape everything I do. That's why she wanted to come to his church, okay? And I love, I love everything about that story. So here was a man who served the Lord Christ through his work. And the reason he did it, because he was an actual disciple of Jesus. His life was shaped by the gospel. He modeled redemption. Redemption. He didn't just talk about it. He demonstrated what redemption looks like. And so he brought this humility to work. He didn't merely care about himself. He cared about the well-being of others. That's why he sacrificed. That's why he took a hit for her. And, and this is a very important point, that's why he had the opportunity to speak about Jesus Christ, okay? And so it's when we model redemption, and so it's not the case that you, if, you, if you're getting paid to do one thing, you shouldn't go in and, like, read your Bible while you're getting paid to do this other thing, okay? You do the work that you're being paid to do, and you do it well. You do it with the mind of Christ. You do it Christianly. And then you have the opportunity. You have the credibility. You have, you have the reputation that allows you to bear witness for Christ. If your workplace gives you freedom to talk about that, that's one thing but we live the life and then we have the opportunities. And so uh, your assignment this week, should you choose to accept it, is to answer these, uh, these two questions. You find them in your program there. But first, how can I serve the Lord Christ through my work? Think of the actual work that you do. How can I serve Christ through my work? And you're gonna have to discern this. I could give you some ideas, but you really have to discern what this is. And so it it could be that you've been doing the bare minimum in your work. Perhaps you've kind of just been going through the motions. Maybe you need to begin to do your work heartily from the Lord. And so you might need a change of heart. You say, God, this isn't my dream job. This isn't my favorite. A lot of things I have to do I don't really enjoy. But God, by your grace, I want to do it from the heart as an expression of my love for you. You, and then uh, what aspect of Christ-likeness might I embody in my work? And so the example I gave, that man clothed himself with humility. Uh, chances are there are people in your, in your workplace that annoy you and you think they don't deserve my kindness. They don't deserve my compassion. Again, if you're a follower of Christ, that is not the issue, what they deserve. They, you, you treat them the way God in Christ has treated you. And so if your whole work is too big, think about one project you're doing or just try this for a morning. Okay, God, I want to try to serve you through my work. I want to put on Christ this morning, what, whatever is manageable. But spend some time on this. We spend the best hours our week doing our work. And so it behooves us to invest the time and the energy to try to discern how we can actually live out these demands in Colossians chapter three. Um, And so imagine what Manhattan and this whole area would be like if 10,000 followers of Christ did their work heartily as for the Lord, not just to serve men, but for the Lord. Imagine what it might mean. Imagine what God might do in our midst if we we bring Christ into the workplace by the work we do and the way we do it. Uh, It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That's a fact. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the grace to live these things out. Give us great discernment. God, we don't don't have it all figured out, but give us discernment. Give us the will. Give us the mind of Christ. We pray, God, that as we we press into this, that you'll give us this incredible uh, wisdom and discernment. We pray, God, for those here today whose workplace is not a joy, it's not, a, it's not something that brings them satisfaction, but it's hard and it's uh, pain and toil. Pray, God, for that person that you will give them grace, that even in that situation, they would discern how to honor you and serve you in the midst of it, how to persevere. And so, God, in all these things, we want to see you honored. We want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. We want to be people that show people, show others what uh, what a relationship with Christ really looks like. And so we need your your power. We need your guidance. And so we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.